Victoria Santos from the College of Liberal Arts Office of Communications and Marketing recently spoke with Jeremy Samaleski to discuss his life as a professor of piano and the significance of what it would mean to become an all-Steinway school. I will start off asking you to introduce yourself and just tell us your name, your title, and what you're currently teaching here. My name is Jeremy Samaleski. I'm professor of piano and head of keyboard studies at Auburn University. So basically I teach everything piano related. Most of this is individual piano lessons for piano majors, as well as courses in collaborative piano, piano literature, and piano pedagogy. How did you get involved with piano? Did it start at a young age, or mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about how you became interested? Yeah, I grew up in a pretty musical household. My mom teaches piano, so every day after school we'd have kids from the neighborhood in our piano room. And so I, I grew up hearing a lot of music. My parents played a lot of music. My brother, my older brother, is actually a professional drummer in a punk band, a very well-known punk band. What too. is it? It's called Propagandi. Nice. They're from Winnipeg, and he's been in that band. He's, what, late 40s? He's been in that band since for over 30 years, wow. and that's his profession. So my brother and sister both took piano lessons when I was a kid, and I was the youngest one, and wanted to follow in their footsteps. You know, I had to do what they were doing. So when I was seven years old, I was allowed piano lessons from the woman at the end of the street. My mom refused to teach us, I think, wisely. <laughs> So I'd walk down there once a week and I fell in love with it. The teacher would assign me more and more pieces every week and I would complete them. And this got, grew and grew to the point that when I was nine, I transferred to a more professional teacher that was a drive away. And uh, I think having, my mom had a lot of music books that were laying around. So in addition to my practice, on the pieces that I was assigned, I would play through books when I was done. Like just like reading a novel, I would sit and read books of music from the start to the finish. We had a Beatles anthology that was around five or six hundred pages. And from this would have been maybe nine years old, I would sit and it would take about six and a half hours to play from start to finish through the whole thing. And I didn't know it then, but those reading skills it's just an incredibly versatile skill to have that has, it's, it's made a big difference for me. So I, I just loved uh, practicing so much to the point that my parents had to discipline me by limiting my practice time. That was their form of discipline. And then I was also playing hockey competitively. And when I got to be 14, that's really when I had to make a decision of what I wanted to focus on because it was too expensive for my parents to go both routes, and I chose piano. Stuck with it until I was 18, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do in university. I couldn't believe that there was a piano major where you could study. This is exactly what I wanted to do, is just be a student, hone my skills as much as I could. I just loved doing it. So I went to the local university, the University of Manitoba in Canada. No scholarship, but tuition, this was mid-90s, tuition was $2,000 in Canada. So it's not, it was affordable for us. But there 
I, I wasn't the most talented student. I was one of two, two performance majors and realized that everyone knew more than me. They just had more exposure. They were living in the big city. I grew up in a small town of 12,000 people. So that was the time that I just immersed myself in music in any way that I could. We had a music library. I'd spend hours there reading books about music, listening to hundreds or even thousands of recordings, and just filling myself with knowledge. I entered competitions and I started winning them. So I prepared to audition for master's programs, and I knew that the big, the big important schools were in the U.S. So I saved, I, I ended undergrad and worked for a year so that I could afford plane tickets to go and audition. I picked six of my favorite schools, auditioned at all of them, and got full scholarships to all of them. Wow. So that was a fun part of my life, being able to <coughs> choose exactly where I wanted to go. So for my master's, I went, I found an amazing teacher, Dr. Robin McCabe, in Seattle at the University of Washington. I stayed there for three years, and then for my doctorate degrees, I went to the Eastman School of Music, which is, it's one of the top schools in the country, and I completed two doctorates there within four years. Where is it? Where's the Rochester, New York. It is Rochester. That's yep. what I thought. Okay. Yeah. I'm from Buffalo. And I was oh, sure yeah. I, I know Buffalo well. It's <laughs> yeah, it's only an hour a, away. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's very close. I used to go watch football games there. <laughs> oh, you mean you used to go watch the Bills lose? Yeah. Yeah. And freeze. Yeah. Dude. While doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Bonus. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, so you were, you're from Canada and then you came to the U.S. for your um, education. And can you talk a little bit about what you did from when you graduated with those two degrees <laughs> to coming here to Auburn in 2014? 2007. 2007. Yeah. Coming here in 2007. Wow. Thank so you. I was fresh out of school, or not even out of school, actually. <clears throat> I had completed my, I was in my 12th year of university, and that was kind of my plan to stay a student as long as I could. It was just learning about music, being able to practice, and having a structured life was amazing. But I knew that that last year that I was ready to dive into the professional world. So I started applying for jobs during my last semester and I lined up five interviews. And in that spring, I think it was, yeah, it was early March 2007, I had my first interview, which was Auburn. And had a great interview, toured the campus, loved the campus. I'd heard about Auburn from its football school or from its football reputation, of course. And was at the Atlanta airport leaving, and the director of the, the head of the music school called me and gave me 24 hours to decide. He offered me the job, and I asked if I could do the, the other interviews that I had lined up. But 24 hours, I spoke it over with a few of my mentors, and just a job in music is it's very difficult to get these days. So I... I I said yes to Auburn. I've been here ever since. That was 2007, 12 years. Yeah, that's quite a while. Who was the chair of the department at the time? Robert Greenleaf. Greenleaf, okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit, going back to when you first started, um, What was there a particular method, or was it just something that you were always drawn to, and I, I can't help but think your mother is a genius, to like huh. make it off limits so yeah. that you would maybe even want to do it more? Um when you first started getting the official kind of lessons from your neighbor, 
what was the method? Was there something, you know, she, has she taught kids before? Was there, yeah. it, was there, do you remember what it was that stuck out as this was what I wanted to do in terms of in, enjoying it, but was there anything that just made sense to you, the way she was teaching it or the way you were learning it? I think maybe hearing music my entire life until that point. And there's something, I, I really enjoyed the time alone in a room making music. And it's not for everybody, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend a career as a musician to many young people today, because to be successful you have to know that you're going to spend four to six hours a day by yourself in a small room, often without a window, which many schools have. Right. But I loved that time. It was, it was I, I don't want to say spiritual experience, but almost therapeutic. It was... I could just lose myself in the music at a young age and really stuck with it. I do have to credit my parents. They were extremely supportive of what I wanted to do. So I had some rebellious years in my teenage years where I wanted to quit and they allowed me to quit, but I couldn't. I did it twice and I lasted two weeks each time and I just, I couldn't live without it. So. Wow. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so we're sitting in your office right now. And there's a Steinway and Sons yep. piano right here. And the other one I'm not too familiar it's with, Mason and... Mason and Hamlin. Hamlin. That's a nice piano as well. Okay. What is the significance of having a Steinway? You know, we're trying to look at becoming the designation of, you know, it's a prestigious designation, an all-Steinway yep. school. What is the importance of having that designation and with students learning how to play or practicing on Steinway? Well, ever since the Steinway became a piano building company, this is the 1850s. Since that time, it's been regarded as the top of its class all around the world. And the reason for that, number one, they're durable. So I can play this from morning till night, and it will, it will be able to last for many, many years. And that's not the case with many other piano builders. But more importantly, the expressive capabilities on the piano are uncomparable to any other instrument. So what that means for students is they come in here for this lesson and they, they play the Steinway and we work on subtle shadings in terms of tone, color, different kinds of touch and they go themselves and they, they get it in the studio and they grow artistically. Then they go to the practice room which is not a Steinway, it's not particular good instruments that we have and the instrument doesn't respond so it's like like a painter has a canvas with many colors in with a Steinway to use for their painting and then they go to their to use their colors and they only have black and white so artistically becoming a Steinway school would be phenomenal to realize each student's musical and artistic potential and also the world's concert stages, they all have Steinways, 95% of them. So we would be training them for the realistic opportunities in the world today. Perfect. <coughs> Excuse me. Have you um, talked to any of the other faculty? Is there anything that, yeah. is there a consensus? I mean, I would assume that they agree with you. Yeah. Um, but is there any concerns that they've raised about having Steinway or not having Steinway, more importantly? No, that's a, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because I wanted to 
really emphasize that this is not just a piano, uh, a piano thing for the music department. Every single student would be affected by this. It doesn't matter if you're a voice student, a clarinet student, trombone, you're going to perform with piano every single year of your musical study. We have convocation, which is our weekly performance for all the students on Wednesdays, and a piano is involved in almost every single student performance. So it really affects everyone. And the most important aspect of that is becoming a Steinway school shows an, an unattainable level of excellence from the school. I remember that when I was looking at schools for my master's degree, and I would see some of them were all Steinway schools, it was, you know, the hairs on my arms would go up. I was so excited, and I couldn't imagine playing on Steinways, only Steinways for my student experience. So it would just be an incredible experience for us. <clears throat> um, my last question that I had, you know, no emailed and we can talk about anything else outside of that if you'd like but um, my last question is just about what's next and I know that you've been um, meeting with some folks and that they've really the alumni have been really excited to hear you play um, what what's next and what kind of questions do they have what is what are their um, I guess what are what are they hoping to get out of it if they contribute have they mentioned that I, I think it's a uh something about Auburn's commitment to excellence and that extends it's exciting that this is extending to the music department any all Steinway designation shows that the institution really cares about their students to have the best possible instruments and that's what they would be contributing to uh, it's happened recently at a couple of schools in Alabama and this would really put Auburn to the forefront in terms of music schools within the state within the region so we'd be putting ourselves on the map artistically as an institution. And this campaign is underway, or is about to be underway, is that It's correct? not public yet. Not yet, yeah. okay. Okay, so then that'll be, that'll be the next phase, is to make it public? Yep, and uh, so that's what's my first priority right now, is getting this thing going. Myself and my students are anticipating performing and uh, speaking to donors at donor events coming up both around Auburn and around the state regionally as well. So we're getting ready for it. We're pumped. We're ready to push this through and really excited for the process. It seems like it. I can't wait to hear you play a little bit yeah. if you don't mind.
This podcast has been produced by the College of Liberal Arts Office of Communications and Marketing. To learn more, please visit us at cla.auburn.edu. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at AU Liberal Arts. I'm Kristen Dietrich, and thanks for listening.